Okay, as I mentioned earlier, we are continuing in the series on Judges. So this morning we're in Judges chapter 13, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 25 from the ESV. So Judges 13, 1 to 25 says this, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Boy, you've heard that a lot the last couple weeks, haven't we? So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah in the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall still conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with this child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man has come back to me, and the other, behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life, and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that this was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up from when when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us us such things as these. And the woman woman bore a son and called called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him, Manoah Dan, between Zorah and Eshtol. Today we launch into the story of Samson. 
Samson's name means awesome. Isn't that an awesome name? We named him Awesome. Samson the Awesome. And when you find out all the things he's going to do, you'll be like, Awesome. Because the Holy Spirit fills him again and again, and he goes into beast mode. He goes into like, you ever watch those video games where you get like invincible for a while, and you just go through and you like mow through hundreds of enemies all at once? That's Samson in the power of the Holy Spirit. Awesome. At one point, he gets a donkey jawbone. A donkey jawbone! And kills a thousand Philistines with it. Awesome. Samson has a funny name, though, because for all of his awesomeness, he's doing this in one of the most unawesome times in human history. Certainly one of the most unawesome times for Israel. They are being persecuted from every side. In fact, the text says that they are in the middle of a 40-year persecution. All the circumstances surrounding awesome Samson are not awesome. Like Kevin Klaus said last week, in the time of Judges, Israel was unfaithful to Yahweh. It was a terrible time because the nation was sleeping around with other gods. And as Christina and Pastor Dave have pointed out, Israel is caught in this not awesome cycle where they have peace, and as soon as they have peace, they get involved in idolatry, and then the idolatry leads to persecution from the nations, and then the persecution finally leads to a deliverer being raised up by God, and then the people are delivered, and they have a time of peace, and then they get right back into idolatry again. Not so awesome. And the cycle just gets worse and worse as you get into Judges. We found this as we're going through Judges, and eventually we'll go through Ruth, but the cycle is getting worse and worse. So at first, it's not so bad. Ehud and company, Deborah and company, but then you start to hit guys like Jephthah, and now we're going to hit Samson. We have to ask, is God still with this people? It's that unawesome. And maybe you're in a place this morning, life church people, where you feel your life has become that unawesome, that you're facing some kind of illness that doesn't go away. You're finding yourself in a place where your relationships have broken down the relationships that mean most to you. Maybe it's internal. Maybe you're anxious right now. You're struggling with an anxiety. You thought you had that taken care of, but no. Or maybe your spiritual life has snapped back into a bad place where you just feel distance from God. Life is hard, and you may even be asking yourself right now, Am I going to get out of this? And is there going to be any good in the midst of this awfulness? And I'm excited to say to you today, I felt this on my heart all week long. God is stirring. And I think he has a very specific encouragement for you today. This Lord who works wonders, especially in times of despair. The story of Samson's mother shows us a God who rescues his people in unlikely ways. And you too can expect awesome in the middle of awful. You can expect awesome today, friends, in the middle of awful. And our story points out a few ways that are such an encouragement to me. I hope they're an encouragement to you too. If you were listening to the story, you caught some of the background. This is during the time of the judges, and we're told about a story from the tribe of Dan. That's one of the 12 tribes. 
in the city of Zorah, which I found out is just to the east of the land of the Philistines. The Philistines, their land is along the coast, just to the east is Zorah. And there's a man named Manoah, his name means rest, which is kind of a funny name because there's no rest in the land. And Israel has been doing evil in the sight of the Lord again, and so the Lord has given them over to the oppression of the Philistines for 40 years. And this story happens in the middle of a really bad streak. And it's a bad streak for Manoah and his wife, too, because they can't have babies. Manoah's wife is infertile. She can't conceive. She can't give birth to a child. She's in a bad way. Manoah's wife, you might say, is totally unawesome. And I'm not trying to be mean here, but we find out even in the first few verses that she has no real special lineage. She has no children. She's just a farmer sitting in a field. And for Pete's sake, she doesn't even have her name mentioned in the text. <laughs> she, doesn't even, she doesn't even get a name in this story. How miscellaneous is that? But I think there's something important to that. That her miscellaneousness is a sign of Israel's miscellaneousness. Israel has become this no-name nation. They have become obscure and, you might say, infertile. Yet God speaks to this woman not once but twice. She's the one the angel of the Lord comes to, telling her she's about to conceive and bear a son. She's about to get the miracle. She, the miscellaneous woman, is about to experience the awesome in the middle of the awful. And you might ask yourself today, am I worthy of God's attention? And this is one of those stories that says God is watching you. God sees you. And if you are low, if you feel low, those are the very people God loves to use. This woman has awesome in the middle of her awful, and I, I see three different expressions of this, and they just become clear as day once you see them. The first thing is in the middle of her awful, she gets an awesome visitation. An awesome visitation. You know what a visitation is? It's when God reveals himself. It's when God shows up. The presence of God is there. And this is how God works. He loves to show up during awful times. He does this because he is a God of grace. He knows when your life is getting hard, and he wants to bless you with his presence. And so what happens is in the middle of this woman's misery, God shows up by sending an angel, and not just any angel, but the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord comes to this woman and says, you are going to miraculously conceive a child and give birth to a son. Now, by showing of hands, how many of you found out that you were pregnant through an angel? No? You were like, I just peed on a stick. Well, this is a pretty amazing thing. Pregnancy test. Yep, angel says, yep, you're positive. God shows up through this angel. You know, we don't talk a ton about angels here at Life Church, but we do believe they are real. They are active. And we find some marks of the angel here in the text. You want to know what an angel is? Here are a few things. Notice that an angel is a messenger 
This angel brings a message to Manoah's wife, and that's actually the main job of angels, I would argue. That's what the name angel means in Hebrew. Angel means messenger. It's an interchangeable word. In Hebrew, same way, word for angels, the word for messenger. Angels are extremely mobile. He simply appears, if you see in verse 3, he appears. Verse 10, he's said to appear. That's how angels roll. They just go from place to place. Not sure how it happens, but they are not limited by the same kind of uh, limitations that we have, speed limits and United Airlines and such. They can transport themselves across space in ways we don't understand. They're immaterial. Immaterial. They're not bodily. They're not made of material. They're not solid in the same way that you and I are or the way that Jesus is. He's risen bodily. They're spirits, the Bible says. They're made of different stuff than us. They're made of heavenly material, if they are any kind of material. And we see this in the text, too, because the angel, when he's offered something to eat in verse 16, the angel says, no, I'm not going to eat. And then the angel departs by going up in a flame of fire up to heaven. Why? Because angels are heavenly. And finally, this angel is awesome. The woman remarks in the angel's appearance. Look there in the text if you're following in Judges 13. The woman says, this angel of God was very awesome. I have not seen an angel personally. Maybe one exception. But I've talked with people who have seen angels, and they describe them in a variety of ways, but usually they're described as very strong. They're described as um, noteworthy in some respects. Sometimes they're described with wings, sometimes not. But always strong, they, they, they stand out in some way. Uh, I heard from someone, I heard a report that her husband had been in the hospital a very serious condition, and she walked into the room, and there was a tall man standing there, a black man who, when he turned around, had blue eyes. And she was kind of taken back by this, but assumed he was a doctor, and then he, he walked out of the room, and she asked her husband, was that a doctor? And he says, no, I have no idea who he was. He just kind of came into the room all of a sudden, and he gave me a word from God. Well, we shouldn't be totally surprised when these things happen, because... Angels, they're out there, and they're awesome. The big point here, though, is that God shows up in hard times. It was a hard time for Manoah. It was a hard time for this woman. But it doesn't matter when nothing's going right, because God still wants to show up in the middle of your awful. It doesn't matter if things are going wrong. It doesn't even matter if the church is not fully present there. God still can show up. If you're familiar with the Lausanne movement and missions, they've documented all these cases where Muslims are hearing from Jesus in dreams. Jesus is like, I know the church can't reach you Muslims in certain parts, so I'm going to show up. Uh, there's a man named Muhammad in uh, Nigeria and uh, was a devout Muslim going to Muslim schools, and Jesus showed up in a series of seven dreams to him. And finally, he converted. He's like, I think I have to follow this Jesus. And he started getting death threats on his life. But it didn't matter because Jesus had shown himself. 
here in the U.S., I, I knew a guy named Habib uh, who uh, was not Muslim. In fact, he was a keyboardist for the Beach Boys. I'm not making this stuff up. <laughs> and he kept on seeing all these signs everywhere, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. And he's like, oh, and it got annoying because wherever he looked, there it was again. And he said it fi he finally broke when he got a call one day, and it was a wrong number. And the person said, oh, sorry, wrong number. But hey, Jesus loves you. He's like, fine. I will start paying attention to God. God does these sorts of things. In the middle of awful situations, God reveals himself. God is revealing himself to people here at Life Church. And I'm inviting Brother Jack up because, um, boy, God has been orchestrating some things here at Life Church. And, and I, I so want him to share what God is doing in his life in the middle of his awful. I had to write this down because otherwise I might wander too far away and be too long. I have seen the awesomeness of God in the middle of awful. Depression, which is what I'm struggling with so much, depression comes from despair and hopelessness. I was despairing that anything could change. How could the Holy Spirit be working in anything of my life? All that kind of thing could only bring hopelessness. When you are in that place, you are an easy prey for the evil one to bring you down, for the world to latch onto you and for your flesh to rule in your life. And that was me. But God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will use the despair and hopelessness to drive you to him. He is the sovereign Lord, and he engineers every circumstance, good or bad, to bring you to him. And that is what he did for me. I cried out to the Lord in the despair and hopelessness out of the depression. I can't live like this anymore. He heard me that evening in May, just a few months ago. And I obeyed him and did what he told me to do. His voice came to me through a preaching video entitled, Get Out While You Can. It was a warning yet laced with God's love. I said yes, and I drew near to God, and he drew amazingly near to me and set me free, delivering me from depression. Jesus, I just praise and glorify you. He took the depression and all that went with it and put a fire in my life. And he has given me a peace that passes understanding. This all happened because I made him Lord of my life and surrendered to his lordship. But even the surrender to him was made possible by his power working. It was his doing, and he wants to do it for all of us. I could speak for a long time of the things he has done in me, the changes he has made. But all I want to do now is give Jesus all the glory and praise. He did exactly what he said he would do. Life more abundant. He broke every chain in my life. The depression is gone. Oh yes, Satan tries to bring it back. But I just start thanking Jesus that he is with me, very close to me, and he will never leave me. And the depression, along with the evil one, flees away.
praise the Lord. God showed up in Jack's life. He can do the same in yours. So in the middle of awful and awesome appearance, in the middle of awful and awesome miracle, God loves to work miracles in miserable situations. And a miracle is an action of God that is supernatural. That is, it's bigger than nature. It's sometimes even against nature. When God acts on our behalf in the middle of good times, it's easy for us to miss that God was at work. But when life is miserable, well, then it's obvious that God is at work. His grace just burns brighter in the middle of the night. I talked to a man who went on a short-term mission trip to the Dominican Republic, way out there, away from the cities, away from the clinics, and a woman came in, he was in medical school, and a woman came in, and she had a tumor on her throat. It was enormous, it was blocking off her windpipe, and she was suffocating. And it was so advanced that he knew she was gonna die that week. And so he told her, he said, I don't see any way for you to get help at this point, but I'm gonna pray for a miracle in the name of Jesus. And he said, it's one of those, probably the greatest miracle he's ever seen because she came back a week later and the tumor was gone. Not smaller, gone. And <laughs> what do you do with that? Well, all you do is you say, well, that's God. And now why would God do that for that woman? Precisely because she was in the middle of nowhere with no help. God wants to be your help when you have no help. And in our text, the miracle is that the woman is able to conceive. Her infertility, which seems unable to be overcome, is overcome. And this is a big deal. And folks, if you're struggling with fertility this morning, it is a hard thing. It is so difficult. I want you to know that God sees your suffering. He hears your longing. He knows it's hard. He sees you. And back in the days of the judges, it was especially excruciating for infertility meant intense social shame. It meant the potential loss of one's family name and family lands. For a people defined so much by covenanted families, barrenness was considered a severe disability. And if you're struggling with infertility, being a Christian is the place you need to be because the God we read about very much cares about infertility. And the, the, the whole Bible is peppered with stories about people struggling with fertility. Sarai and Rachel and Elizabeth in the New Testament, there's all sorts of miracle stories there regarding fertility. Why does God work this wonder? Well, it's because he is wonderful. Look in verse 18. The angel has just promised that a child is coming, and, the, and Manoah and his wife want to honor the angel, and the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, why do you ask my name? Because Manoah wants to know what, what his name should be, maybe so they can name the child after him or something. Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? And, and you could read that as, his name is just full of wonders, it's wonderful, or you could actually read this as his name is wonderful, capital W, wonderful. Well, that's sort of a strange name. 
Verse 19, so Manoah took the young goat with a grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. So the angel of the Lord, this divine presence says his name is wonderful. And so Manoah says, all right, I'm making this offering to Yahweh. Whenever you see Lord all capitalized, that's the holy name Yahweh. We offer it to Yahweh who works wonders. Do you you see the play on words here? Oh, your name is wonderful. We offer to the God of wonders. You are very awesome. We'll, We'll name our son awesome. And this is indeed is entirely appropriate. This God loves to work wonders in the middle of your awful season. And maybe you're in a season right now where you are suffering because you've been involved in some kind of sin, some kind of idolatry, and you're away from God. Or maybe you have some kind of false way of worship. Or maybe, maybe it's not that. Maybe you're struggling with infertility, much like this woman was. Or you have a chronic condition. Or maybe you're fighting an addiction and you're feeling that that addiction is winning. Or you're out of money, you're out of hope, you're out of options. But I say, friends, do not despair. For the Lord loves the exact situation you're in. Not because he loves evil, but because he loves to work in that moment. He sees your situation and says, ah, now you're ready to see the miracle. I'll do it and you'll see it and you'll acknowledge me. One final observation. In the middle of awful, not just uh, an awesome appearance, not just an awesome miracle, but an awesome task. Sometimes in the middle of the night, the middle of your midnight, you get an awesome task. During the awful times, it's often the case that God gives out a special mission. You are given important work, and you feel that sense of purpose. And perhaps it means you do something great in the world's eyes, but maybe not. Maybe God gives you a very important task Something like caring for an aging parent or a high-needs child or a disabled person. And this is a task that matters very much to the heart of God. And the woman in this story is given an awesome task. When the child is born, he is named Samson. That's in verse 24. And again, Samson means awesome. He is going to be extraordinary, exemplary, and amazing, but Samson can't do it by himself. He needs the help of his parents to get there. And so if you back up to verse 5, when the angel says, I'm going to do this miracle, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to have a special task. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. This is to say, he is going to be a special type of person. That's what a Nazarite is. If you, if you want the background, check it out later. It's in Numbers 6. To be a Nazarite means that you, you don't cut your hair. It means that you avoid grapes, which was difficult in the ancient world. 
It means that you don't touch a dead body. You are especially pure. You are especially set apart. You are especially holy. Kind of like a monk or a nun, if you're familiar with the Roman Catholic tradition, similar to that. This is an important vocation for Samson, but it's not just for Samson. It begins with the parents. You parents, make sure your son stays holy. Make sure your son is prepared for the deliverance that I'm going to work through him. Again, verse 5. The child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. From the womb. Just pause with me for a moment. God is working in this child from the womb. The Holy Spirit is going to stir on this child from the womb. This is a fetus we're talking about. It bothers me sometimes when I hear people talk about a fetus and they think they're talking about something that is less than human. But here is a fetus with a holy calling, a fetus that has been ordained, you might say, <laughs> a fetus that has the Holy Spirit hovering over him, which helps me to remember that fetus is actually not a, a different type of human. A fetus is just a developmental stage, right? We talk about toddlers, but we don't say toddlers are non-humans. No, toddler is a developmental stage of a human. Teenager a developmental stage of human. Some of your parents are like, is it fully human? No. We are all going through developmental stages. Adults are weird too. But in this case, God is working on a fetus, which is this human being loved by God and already appointed for a task. That's why Jesus says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. That's Luke 18, 16. Right, so Samson has this holy task, but what I mainly want to impress upon you is that God gives a holy task to the parents. They get the vocation too. In the middle of their awful, they are told, I have a mission for you. And isn't that just like God, to give a mission in the middle of our mess? Can you imagine parenting this awesome child? Being Samson's parents. I, I, in my head, I see Manoa, you know, with his smartphone, and he's like, uh, hey, Google, uh, should I stop spanking my three-year-old if he can beat me up? Hey, Google, how do I tie a Jewish man bun? Hey, Google, is it normal for a spirit-filled teenager to beat the whole church basketball team single-handedly? It would be weird being Samson's dad. The parents participate in the vocation of their child, though. And this woman, in particular, is responsible for keeping Samson pure while in the womb. She repeatedly is told, you don't drink wine because it's going to be passed to your child. You don't do these things, or you do these things because your child will be impacted. And he has this massive vocation from God. She is laying the foundation for Samson's ministry. And Manoah, the father, prays one of the best scriptures, uh, one of the best prayers I know of in scripture. Look in verse 8. This is so beautiful, parents. 
Parents, please pray this. O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. Teach us what we are to do with the child. There are times that Christina and I don't know how to be good parents, and we have to pray to God, teach us what to do with this child. If you're a parent today, start praying that prayer, because you don't have all the answers, and neither does Dr. Spock. Sometimes you've got to ask God himself. And I remind you, parents, that you are preparing your children not just for livelihood, not just to survive and to make money, but also to have a vocation from God. And it is entirely possible that God's... I don't want to overstate this, but is it possible that God's main purpose for your life is to prepare your child for something greater? Are you okay with your child being great for the Lord? And I guess I'm reminded too in this passage that all of us together in Life Church, we are to invest in our kids. Here, certainly, back in those rooms, yes, but also in our neighborhood. We have an opportunity right now where we have a guy coming to us and he says, I have kids in the neighborhood right now who, who come over for stories and snacks and I'm moving out of the neighborhood and I just want them to hear from God. I just want them to be cared for and he's asking us to help and we're going, how do we help? But it feels like a life church thing. Yeah. We glorify Jesus in this neighborhood including in our neighborhood kids. Well, I'm not saying that's the only vocation out there, the only task out there, but here's the deal. God loves to give you a holy task in the middle of your awful. You think you're at wit's end. You think that you have nothing left to give. You think you're the one who's suffering, and in the middle of it, God comes to you and says, I'm giving you something. I'm giving you a job. And something about that renews us. And God will give you the strength to perform that job, but that is entirely like God to give a holy task in the middle of your awful. In the midst of wickedness, Noah got his mission. In the midst of slavery, Joseph got his career path. In the midst of persecution, Gideon got appointed as a general. After the, out of these awful times of life, God takes us aside and gives our lives meaning. I don't know what of this hits you this morning, but I want you to know that in the dark of night, God does the wonderful. He works wonders still today. He does miracles. He breaks the cycle, and he calls forth awesome from us. And I'll ask the worship team to come up here right now, but let me say one last thing here as the worship team comes up. You may be asking, well, why would God do this again? Why would he reach out to me, and why would he do something awesome in my life? And the reason why we know this isn't really just because of Manoah and his wife. Really, fundamentally, the reason why we know this is because in the worst possible situation, God did the most awesome thing. 
which was that he decided to come down. He decided to be with us. The most amazing thing that could happen in the worst possible time was that God could choose to be among us, and that's exactly what he did. He became a fetus. He became this child who would grow up. God would come among us, God himself, and his name is Jesus. And he lived a perfect holy life in the middle of an awful time in Israel's life. In fact, it was so awful for God that God sent his son to the cross, that Jesus died on the cross to take away your sins, to take away your awful. And on the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead. That's what we preach here at Life Church. We're never going to get over it, that God chose to be with us and is going to be with us forever because he's raised from the dead, and he's calling you today. Give him your awful. That's why he came. So we thank him for that. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.